0: so we read that text last sabbath and as i was reflecting this week i thought we need to spend a little more time on this particular issue so so we're coming back to it and it's building off of what we talked about last sabbath so let's pray and then we'll jump into this Father in heaven, be with us today as as we're gonna look at some texts, some texts that talk about Jesus and who he is. Help us to put this together in our mind. It's not all of them, it's just some of them, but help us to put this together in our minds. Because we really we need to know who Jesus is. In his name we pray. Amen. So when I was younger, there was a song that we used to sing. And some of you who are are a little older like I am might remember this song but it went everybody ought to know. You remember that song? Everybody ought to know. Everybody ought to know who Jesus is, right? Remember that? And then you went on, he's the lily of the valley, he's the bright and morning star, he's the fairest of 10,000, everybody ought to know. And and So I remember that song, Stuck in My Mind, and we kind of thought of it in a sense, general sense of a uh, uh, kind of an evangelistic voice. Everybody ought to know, we should tell everybody. But it occurs to me, particularly in the context of this passage, that there are even those who have spent time with Jesus who really have not figured out who he is. And here we have this reality with Thomas and this whole story with Thomas as it plays out. And and, uh, Jesus is is raised from the dead and the disciples tell Thomas, we saw him, he's alive again. And Thomas says, I don't believe it. I won't believe it unless I can put my hand in the, the place where the nails were. Put my finger there. and Put my hand in his side. I'm not going to believe it. And then we have the story that you just heard that that Jackie recited for us so well. John chapter 20, verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? And let, let this just be a warning to you. Uh, don't ever make really bold statements about, yeah, I'm not going to believe that unless God does whatever. Don't make bold statements like that because sometimes he'll do it, and then you'll feel like the idiot there when he says, go ahead, Thomas. You said you wanted to put your hand here? Go ahead. Put. Yeah, so, so be wise in what you say when it comes to things about God. He said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hand? Reach your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Now the reason we keyed on this uh, and we read this verse last Sabbath was because we were back in John chapter 5 and the story of when Jesus told the man, he healed the man and he said, take your mat and walk. And it upset everybody because he was carrying a burden on the Sabbath. And, and then they come and talk to Jesus. And Jesus says, well, I'm working. My father is always working. And then it says they wanted all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was making himself equal with God. And we talked about this idea of, of the discomfort, the struggle, how hard it would have been based on a lot of passages of scripture to believe that this man Jesus, who looked like the other humans, was in fact the son of God and himself God. And and I brought you to this passage of this confession of Thomas because of what he says. He says, my Lord and my God. Now, if Jesus was not owning that identity, he would have done what all the angels of scripture do Whenever humans bow down to worship them or mistake them for God, they say, no, 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 don't do it. I am but a messenger from God. But Jesus does not do that here. He accepts the description that Thomas gets, gives. He says, yes, I am your Lord and God. And he follows it up, verse 29, then Jesus told them, because you have seen me, you have believed Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. So so I thought of this song, everybody ought to know who Jesus is. And, And yes, everybody who's never heard of him ought to hear of him. But even more than that, everyone who claims to believe in him needs to know who Jesus really is. Not just their favorite piece of him but the whole there's a lot of dispute among Christians even to this day those who profess to believe in Jesus as to who he really is so i want to take a little time today and just read some texts from various places in the bible that talk about who Jesus is so so we'll be reading quite a bit and the first place i want to go is the book of Revelation. And I wanna start in Revelation chapter four. Now, what I wanna read you is actually contained in chapter five, but you need chapter four to understand chapter five. So here we go. Chapter four, verse one. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. So this is John, he's looking up, he sees a door standing open in heaven. So he is about to get a symbolic uh, revealing of the reality that goes on in heaven. Now, why do I use the word symbolic? Well, here's the problem when it comes to God revealing to us things that surpass our capacity to understand. And I believe heaven is one of those things. It surpasses our capacity to understand. Why would I say that? Well, I say it for this reason every time anyone ever gets a vision of heaven, a revelation of what's going on in heaven, the technology of heaven matches the technology of earth. Have you ever noticed that? In the Old Testament, when you get a view of heaven, they're, lo- they're reading scrolls. In the New Testament, when you get a vision of heaven, they're opening books. Maybe if one of you got a vision of heaven today, they would be uh, flipping through their iPad. Okay? So do you actually believe that the technology of heaven is limited to whatever we've discovered on earth it's like oh wow look those humans they invented an electronic device that will keep track of things let's get one do you think that's how it works or do you think that in God's attempt for us to understand the larger point he's trying to make he uses figures and symbols that we would understand so that when we see them you know if if well i don't know this angel had this weird little device and he kept flipping his hand on it i don't know what in the world it was that would have been a useless revelation to an old testament person so the point of it being the reality of heaven is a transcendent reality it is beyond what we are capable of understanding therefore god puts it in a way when he reveals it to us that we can understand so that's what we're going to see here And the voice that I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. So I want you to hang on to some of these ideas. There's a throne, there's one sitting on this throne. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. Hang on to this idea, this description. So we've got lightning, we've got flashing, we've got power we have fire. In this case, it's described as seven lamps. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal. Now our tendency when we hear that term sea of glass is to think of an ocean, right? Because that's the sea. But I'm not sure that's exactly what it's talking about. This is actually temple language. And do you remember in the context of the temple, you had what they called the sea? It was a big, large container full of water that you did ritual washing in before you did the sacrifices. That really seems to be more like the image that's being touched on here. That this is a large container, a sea made of glass. All right, let's go on in the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back now if you've spent time reading in the book of ezekiel you'll remember these creatures because they appear there as well the first living creature was a lion the second was like an ox the third had the face of a man the fourth was like a flying eagle each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around even under its wings, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So this is a description of the throne. One seated on the throne. There's 24 elders gathered around. There's all these amazing sights of fire and, and flashing lights. And then you've got these four living creatures who are forever saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This is a description of a normal day at the throne of God. This is not so much a description of a point in time. This is a description of what normally takes place around the throne of God. And these four living creatures, which, which we understand to be cherubim, are gathered around And keep saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now, for those of you that are my age or older, there's a little rebuke in this. Did you catch it? Remember the, the complaint about contemporary Christian music? The, uh, have you ever heard the 711 phrase? Have you heard that? Seven words repeated 11 times? Okay. There's an argument to make sometimes, but they got nothing on the four living creatures who keep saying the same thing again and 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 again. And again. Maybe the problem is not that. Maybe the problem is you don't understand, okay? Okay. So let's, let's all remember in the context of our discomfort with one another and our discomfort with generations and, and places and times and things like that that the repetition in and of itself is not necessarily wrong. The four living creatures do it in a way that would make us ashamed that we only repeated it 11 times. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Okay, what I want you to get out of that is to understand... The reason that the praise goes to the one on the throne is because he lives forever and ever and because he created all things. Now I mentioned this to you before in in the context of a different message and we'll talk about it someday in detail. But I want to remind you that in terms of the question of whether or not God created the world, we cannot take a neutral stance. The basis for praise to the one who sits on the throne is that he is the creator. If he is not the creator, then the basis of praise is wrong. So, so we can't be neutral on this point. Now, the details of exactly how everything played out, I'm not smart enough to tell you because I wasn't there. I didn't see it happen. All I have is what's revealed in this word. So I can't tell you exactly how he did it. But I do know that I can't be neutral on the point as to whether or not he did it. Because the whole basis for his authority, and in fact, way beyond just this, his basis of authority to make law, and the basis of the reality for Jesus to save us is contained within the reality that he created it in the first place. If he did not, he has no right to give law and Jesus has no way to save. So, so this is not a neutral point for us. All right, so chapter four has described a typical day at the throne of God. Sounds good. I kind of want to hang out there. That really seems cool to me. But it also uh, kind of challenges, again, going to this whole topic of, of worship and, and being a visual and audio experience. Um, yeah, I get the thing about emotionalism. I get the thing about it being just too much of a production in the whole deal. But I also got fire here. I got pyro, you know? We'll do a little pyro maybe. Seven flaming torches would be awesome, Right? And there's lightning, that would be cool, and loud. we we got to challenge ourselves sometimes. I'm not saying we're going to bring in flaming things and we're going to do flashes and all of that. I'm not saying we're going to do that. That's not really who we are. It's not really a reflection at this point of who we are. But let's not get caught in traps and claim that we know what reverence and holiness looks like. Because at least here, it sounds a little louder than what we tend to think, maybe. But enough of that. So that's the throne of God. That's not actually what I want to talk about. Now we're at chapter 5. This is what I want to actually get to. Chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaim in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. So so we have a description of a typical day at the throne of God, but now we've gone to a specific moment in time. And in this moment in time, a problem is identified. There is a scroll in the hand of the one who sits on the throne, That no one can open. And apparently, it's critical that this thing be opened for God's ultimate purpose to be accomplished. But it says there was no one, a mighty angel. We would think a mighty angel could do anything, right? No, he can't do this. No one in heaven or earth or under the earth. Verse 4 I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now there's some reality contained in this, and I don't want you to miss it. It says, he has triumphed. This means that the thing that has given him the right to take the scroll and open it is something he has accomplished, not something that was inherent. Okay, he's not able to open the scroll because of who he is. He's able to open the scroll because of what he's done. Let's go on. So I heard, look, see, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is triumph. But then verse 6, then I saw a lamb. So Jesus is, I'm saying Jesus here, I just, spoiler alert, sorry about that. So this one is first described as a lion, but when you look at him, he's a lamb. That's awesome, right? You get a lot of that in Revelation. I heard this, I saw that. And it gives you that fullness of the meaning. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. You remember we were talking about implications of a a temple scene, the sea of glass, the seven lampstands, lots of temple imagery here. And now in the center, at the place of sacrifice, is a lamb looking as though it's been slain encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. This is fabulous. They'd never sung this song before because it had never been true before. They sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. So it started by saying everybody ought to know who Jesus is. You need to know who Jesus is. Jesus is the hero at the throne of God. He is the only one who can take the scroll from the hand of him who sits on the throne because he gave his life to save us. Now you go on through Revelation and he'll begin to break the seals and all kinds of things will happen on the earth. And basically what's happening here is in order for God to reestablish the original order We've got to get through the reality of what's on this scroll. But we couldn't start the phase of getting to the final bringing back of God's original order until the point where Jesus comes, wins the victory, earns the right to take the scroll, earns the right to reset God's original plan. Who is Jesus? He's the one, the only one who can reestablish what God intended at the beginning. And why can he do it? He can do it because he was slain, and with his blood he purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. So this is what the four living creatures say. And then verse 11, then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and glory and honor and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Okay, this is pretty powerful here. You see what's happening? This is the praise of all things are going to him who sits on the throne, which is obviously God, right? And to the lamb, who is obviously Jesus. Be praise and honor and glory and power Forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. What a scene. What a moment. Happens in the context of what normally goes on at the throne, but there was a special day when a Jesus arrived back after completing his task after faithfully doing all that God had given him, after draining the cup. You remember in the garden, he says, If this cup can pass, take it, please. But if not, Jesus is faithful. He wins the victory. And he comes back, and this is his welcome. Now, there's actually another place where this, this scene is described. Now, it's described a little differently in the context of, of judgment. But I want you to see the connections here. Because the other place we see this scene described, where Jesus is coming back to the Father, is in the book of Daniel. In fact, it happens in Daniel chapter 7. And we'll begin reading in verse 9. It says, As I looked, thrones were set in place. Does that sound a little bit like what John said? I looked and there was a throne. As I looked, thrones were set in place and the ancient of days took his seat. Do you remember what they say in Revelation? You are worthy. You live forever and ever. It's the same language. The ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming fire remember the description in Revelation, the seven lampstands of flaming fire? And its wheels were all ablaze. Now, if you were to go to Ezekiel, you would understand that reference, because in Ezekiel, you have the four living creatures, and beside each living creature is a wheel and above them is a platform, and on the platform is the throne of God. The reason Ezekiel was given this vision of God's throne was because the people had come to equate the presence of God with the temple in Jerusalem. God is in the temple and in Jerusalem. But the Babylonians have destroyed the temple, so where is God? So God goes to the exiles, he goes to Ezekiel and he shows him the throne of God only now the throne of God is not stuck in a place. It's got wheels and it goes wherever God wants it to go. So here in Daniel we get this description again and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing coming out from before him now, listen to this description to remind you of Revelation 5. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. That's the exact same language that you get in Revelation 5 when the angels are gathered around and they sing this glorious praise to Jesus. And then it says, The court was seated and the books were opened. Now, skip down here to verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. So we have a description of the ancient of days, and now we have a description of another one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Now we hear that language, and what do we think? We think Jesus coming again. Ah, read closely. Coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached, it doesn't say the earth, it said he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. This is parallel to Revelation 5. This is the victorious son of man coming to the ancient of days. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Do you remember what they say in Revelation? Worthy is the lamb to receive All these things. Well, here we have in Daniel, he's getting them. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. It's exactly what it says in Revelation. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So in Revelation, we see the lamb come and take the scroll. In Daniel, it's described as the receiving of authority to establish God's ultimate purpose. Do you remember what Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 28 before he's taken up? Do you remember what it is? He says, All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. See, this is who Jesus is He is the king over all heaven and earth. All authority is given to him. He accomplished the purpose that God sent him to accomplish and the result was all authority has come to him. Now the kings of the earth don't like that. And those who continue to resist and fight against this don't believe it. I won't believe it unless I see. That's what Thomas said. Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord. Now this is the L-O-R-D, the capital letters again. We talked about that last week. This is the name of God. This is Yahweh. They rise up against Yahweh and against His anointed, isn't that interesting? You got two figures again. The one on the throne and the anointed. Saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. These are the kings of the earth. These are the the people of the earth saying, we don't want to do things God's way. We're going to do it our own way. We don't care about God. We're going to throw off the shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in His anger and terrifies them with His wrath, saying, "I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain." Do you see what this psalm is telling us? It's describing the event in Revelation five, the event in Daniel seven. It's saying, "I, the one on the throne, the ancient of days, the one who lives forever, ever, forever and ever, has installed his king." Jesus on my holy mountain. Now, there's a whole other way to go down this road, and we don't have time to do this today. But how does he become king? He becomes king by dying on the hill. It's not like we expect, is it? Verse 7 I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Now understand what this is saying. Don't be frightened that God is that Jesus is coming after you with a rod of iron. No, Jesus is coming after the nations. He's coming after the injustice and the cruelty. And he will break it. All of those who refuse to acknowledge God, in the end, all authority has come to Jesus and he's going to put it right. So then the psalmist has counsel. He says, so therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry. And your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. You see, God has made provision for all of us through Jesus. And and just like he said to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Jesus has come to save us. Go to Malachi. Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. This is the John the Baptist language. Remember this? Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. This is Jesus. And he comes to Israel. He comes literally to the temple. And you remember the story of what he does in there. He doesn't like what he finds, so he clears it. Verse 2, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears, when Jesus appeared in the temple? And everything on that day, and everything was out of order, those who were out of order could not stand before him. He drove them from the temple, who can stand when he appears. For he is like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord. As in the days gone by, as in the former years, Jesus will be the acceptable offering. And through his death, he will purify all who believe. He will turn all of us into Levites, into a kingdom of priests. We will be purified by his sacrifice. Verse 5, So I will come to you, I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. A lot more we have to develop out of that. But part of the purification that God is going to do in our lives is a transformation of our hearts from cold and hard-hearted and self-centered to loving and gracious and kind. A couple more texts. Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is the famous psalm. That starts out with the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are the words that Jesus spoke from the cross. But as you go on with that passage, you get to verse 22 and it says this. I will declare your name to my people. Remember what we said? Everybody ought to know. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. You get the vision of the throne of God with the angels. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. This is, this is the voice of Jesus winning his victory. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nation. Jesus came. He received authority. He received dominion. This is about him. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Remember Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, though they die, will live. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Everybody ought to know who Jesus is. He's the one who did it. He's the one who has authority. We can't quit without Isaiah. And we really could go through a whole bunch of texts here, but I'm just going to jump on a couple. Isaiah 49, verse 1. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Everybody ought to know. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. If you were to read the first chapter of Revelation, the one who's described there, who's Jesus, is described as having a sharp double-edged sword coming from his mouth. Here it is in Isaiah. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. That one's awesome. The description of Jesus. You see, Jesus looked like everybody else. He was concealed in the quiver. What's the quiver? Israel. Israel was the quiver. And and God took him and concealed him in there. He made him a polished arrow. And then he hid him in the middle of the people. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain, Do you hear Jesus in the garden in his suffering? I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand. And my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says... Catch these words, because these are the most important words for just about everybody sitting in this room. Are you ready? It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation might reach to the ends of the earth. Do you see what's significant there? How many of you are Jews? Oh, you don't have to raise your hand, because that could seem like an anti-Semitic question. I'm not going there. But you know, most of us are not. Therefore, as a people, we were excluded from the covenants. But God says, no. Jesus, it's too small a thing for you just to bring back Israel. I will give you everyone who believes. See, here's the promise. This is who Jesus is. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nations, to the servant of rulers, kings will see you and stand up, princes will see and bow down, because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. This is who Jesus is. Isaiah 53, the the suffering servant at the end. It says, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Verse 11, by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Only one could open the scroll. And it was the one who poured out his life, who was numbered with the transgressors. This is who Jesus is. Isaiah 52, verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond any of that, of any human being... And his form marred beyond human likeness so he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him for what they were not told they will see and what they have not heard they will understand. The revelation of God to the nations. Everybody ought to know. And we, most of all, ought to know. Isaiah 52, verse 6, Therefore my people will know my name. Therefore in that day they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. Now, here comes mission. Are you ready? Verse 7, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Those who tell the story of Jesus to the nations. Because everybody ought to know. Maybe we can find a song that's a little more recent than that one. There was a Casting Crowns song from not too long ago. And the chorus went like this. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. You want to be a part of that group? See, when you know who Jesus is, boy, you got to share that, don't you? We'll end with this, Malachi 3, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as the father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Give your life to this. Give your heart to this. Talk amongst yourselves and decide That I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. Because everybody ought to know. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to truly know who Jesus is. And help us to live for the world to see. In Jesus' name, amen.